All right, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. This is our, I think, uh, 26th week in the Gospel, and uh, we're in in John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4, and this uh, is going to wrap up the uh, story of um, Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman, which we've been in for quite a while. Uh, There is much here. So um, here we are in chapter 27, uh, excuse me, chapter 4, starting in verse 27. This is God's Word. Just then, Jesus' disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the rabbis were urging him, saying, excuse me, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Um, Many Samaritans from that town believed him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got a little... uh, staff. I don't know if you know that or not, but I've got a little department. So there's, there's little old me, and then there's uh, Jason, our uh, uh, media and computer nerd guy. There's Chris, who is our uh, music and, um, and what else? My, he's my assistant, but he's also our music media nerd, another nerd guy. Then we've got a video guy who's a super nerd, uh, another super nerd, and uh, he's doing a lot of video and graphic stuff that you see around here. I still tinker with, like, you know, life together and, and uh, silence your phone and stuff like that, uh, service pieces. But like stuff you see in the bulletin, if it's not mine, he's done it. So we got a nerd, we're a nerd crew, okay? And then our secretary is Gene Elliott. And so it's just a great little nucleus of nerds, okay? I say that because anything technical, anything uh, graphic-y, artistic, tends to spill onto us. Sine qua non, kind of we feel a, a, a connection with sine qua non and a burden for that ministry and so on. And so this signage that you see out front about the Indian ministry came from our little department and came from a meeting that we had about three weeks ago. And we said, hey, Das Renla, our Indian uh, intern, he doesn't know about signage and going to the sign store and how to talk to those goofballs at the sign store and um, get something printed out and put it out. So I, and we said, look, let's take his stuff and make a, an, a sign about the cricket thing and then I said, let's add another sign. And the other sign, I don't know if you've seen it, it says, we welcome our Indian community. 
Isn't that kind of cool? So two signs. And I'll tell you this too, just kind of off the record. You know, if, if, if we had asked permission to use the phrase, we welcome our Indian community, there might have been a hitch, knowing the church business. There might have been a, well, I don't know, should we say that? Should we not say that? Let's hold off this time, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, we got an Indian guy here all summer with a cricket match. We got like one opportunity. So let's put this thing out there and have people drive by and say, we welcome our Indian community. Now, why that sign? Well, I have two answers. Number one, we want to welcome our Indian community. (laughs) Okay, that's answer number one. But number two, I want, we want people to drive by all week long and see that sign that says, we welcome our Indian community and go, you know what? That's pretty cool. They want people in there. And if I were someone of a different race, I would drive by and go, hey, you know what that's communicating? They want the world. Those people in that building with the steeple on it, they want the world. They want the world to walk on in. That's what it would communicate to me. And I just love that people are driving by all week long going, hey, these people want us. They want the world to walk on in. Uh, That's the comprehensive answer. Actually, the real comprehensive answer is um, we want to carry out the Father's will in the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, That's the real comprehensive uh, point. But I'm saying all that to say this. Christ has come to save the world. You know, back in chapter 3, let me read you chapter 3, 16 and 17. 16, you'll recognize. um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. By the way, I I feel bad if I don't read the next part. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. All right, it ain't a cheap grace, okay? It's not sin swept under the rug. But my point is, we are supposed to be taking the gospel to the world. And that's our big point today. The big point is this. Oh, come on, there we go. The gospel is for the world. That's what Jesus is is explaining here. That's that's what uh, Jesus is in the the business of doing. That's why he's in Samaria in the first place. So uh, let's look at our first point, which is this. Come and see. Look at verse um, 27 of our passage here. Just then, all right, so what has just happened is Jesus has um, had this very explicit encounter with this woman the woman says to Jesus, uh, after much dialogue, after much, uh, she says, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Very clear that he's speaking uh, about his own self being the Messiah. He's identifying himself. And by the way, um, I'm straying from my nose slightly, but um, you know, throughout all the Gospels, Jesus is saying, my hour's not yet come, my hour's not yet come, my hour's not yet come. Why, so early in his ministry, does he feel the freedom to say that in the middle of Samaria? Well, the answer is because he's in the middle of Samaria. <laughs> There's not a lot of Jewish uh, religious authorities running around in Samaria. Uh, he has gone into a strange place to proclaim a beautiful gospel to an unlikely people. 
That's why he is so transparent. And that's why you see the people, the Samaritans at the end of this encounter, they go, "Uh, we've heard for ourselves. We know that this is indeed the savior of the world. I mean, the news is out, but it's in Samaria. So it's kind of like this isolated news. All right, back to the notes though. We explored these verses some last time, and we saw how the disciples were kind of bumbling around in uh, their discernment, all right? Um, She's had this awakening, and uh, Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. And uh, just then, the disciples come back, just then. And they're bumbling around, and they're like, oh, geez, they're marveling, and they're going, well, they, mm, why is he talking with her? And what is what? Is, what does she seek? And he seek? What is this whole thing about? I mean, it, it, it's it's strange to them. And in the middle of that awkward scene, the woman just leaves her water jar and goes into town. And um, I had a couple of comments last week about the water jar. And in fact, I can't remember who came up and talked to me about uh, water. But there, there were, I talked to a couple different people about water and the water jar and why she left the water jar and so on. Let me just explore that a little bit with you because that was kind of a thing left um, maybe unhandled uh, since I had a couple comments. Um, some people um, uh, make, you know, there are a lot of cases and scenarios that you can think about this water jar. Why did she leave the water jar? My answer is, I'm not really sure, but I got a hunch, okay? I'll tell you the hunch at the end. But some people, some really thinky-poo thinky people have really thought this through, and they go, uh, they'll say, well, the water in the well uh, or the water in the jar is standing water. And Jesus is talking about living water, which is spiritual life. And so she symbolically leaves her water jar and goes into the city. Okay, that's kind of cool. But could you say that with certainty? I can't, so I'm not going to preach it. Um, here's another one. Um, others say, well, um, she was leaving behind lifeless religion and ceremonies. And I'm like, that's pretty cool too, but I'm not sure she had it all figured out like that. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that sounds like um, a bunch of academics sitting around talking. Uh, somebody else might say um, it represented how empty her life felt, and she just left it all behind. I've read these in, in commentaries. I'm like, okay, maybe, uh, maybe. But how do, you, how do you know what's spinning around in somebody's heart? It's a little oogie-googie for me. Um, others, like me, end up with this position. Why did she leave her water jar? Not really sure. Uh, but I suspect it's that she's pretty excited <laughs> and she wants to get into town to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Um, oh, and by the way, I'm pretty sure that she was sure that Jesus wasn't going to steal it. (laughs) So so let us hurry to the text uh, now that that's covered. Let's go to verse 28. The woman left her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now, don't miss that the people are now high-stepping it toward Jesus. I mean, if it goes on, it says in verse 30, the, she goes, Could this be the, can this be the Christ? And it says in verse 30, they went out of the town and were coming to him. So she goes into the town, proclaims this message. She's all excited. They hear her, they believe her, and they're like, wow, the Christ, you mean, the, you mean <clears throat> this is Samaria, and you're saying that Israel's redeemer savior figure, uh, who we might, we Samaritans might think it's another Moses, but you're saying that the Israelite 
savior figure guy is in Samaria and talked to you and told you everything about your life and that this could be the, the, the Jewish Christ. Is that what you're saying? Let's go check it out. And so the people from the town are now coming to Jesus. Now, we can apply this very quickly. Just, just She had a simplicity to her message, did she not? Uh, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Uh, that's a pretty beautiful thing. And by the way, she's not done with that. Uh, look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So she is proclaiming this very simple message, and she's doing it through personal testimony. And it, she's not saying, now listen, uh, God um, set up the sacrificial system to prepare our hearts for this coming Savior so that we would understand that the wages of sin is death and the payment is blood and that this one is going to come and shed his blood as a sacrificial lamb. She doesn't have all this deep theology. What she's got is a personal encounter with this Jesus who has shown her his divinity. He says, I'm the Savior figure, and she believes him. And then she jets off into the city to go tell people all about it. There's not a ton of rich theology there, um, in verbiage anyway, but there can be no mistaking that she considered him to be the Savior. Can this be the Christ? Now, what has happened? What has happened is she believed what Jesus said. That's called justification by faith alone. You remember when God approached Abraham in Genesis, a pagan in the land of Ur of the Chaldees? And he says, hey, I'm gonna make a nation out of you. And through you, through your loins, through your barren wife, I'm gonna make it happen where you have a kid and through that kid is gonna come a nation. And through that nation, all of the peoples of the world will be blessed. And it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That is called justification by faith alone. It was credited to him by, as righteousness because he believed the promise. And what the woman is doing is believing the promise. You know, she's believing what Nicodemus puzzled over, the religious expert. And you know, listen, Nicodemus comes to Christ at least sometime later because he's, he's taking care of Christ's body. He's a Christ follower at the end of the gospel. But she is believing what Nicodemus was puzzling over, which is there was no life, and then there was life, and thus she could see the kingdom and believe. Now, application for your life. Number one, I have two of them. Her vibrancy. You know, I think it was new life that caused her to, to leave her water, uh, her water jar. I mean, typically those things are big, heavy, you know, uh, Big heavy urns, you know, like what Jesus turned the water and the wine in, you know, those kind of big old heavy jobbies like that. It would have slowed her down on the way into town and, and so on. But it, it, listen to this commentator said this. I thought it was great. Hers was a powerful witness because it presented Jesus through the lens of her own changed heart. Isn't that cool? It's very hard to argue with. I was blind, but now I see. You know, it's one thing to go, well, let me show you a little theological history lesson here. Um, it's another thing to say, man, um, I, I want to I turn your focus to the word, my friend, the Bible, my friend. But I, let me just tell you, God's changed me. He's, he's made me alive when I wasn't alive. He's made me able to see spiritual things I couldn't see before. And he's changed me and he comforts me and he helps me. And I know you might think it's some imaginary friend I've got, but I'm telling you, it's real 
and uh, it's the most important thing in my life. That's a very powerful thing, personal testimony. Um, You know, that's what Grace Gumbo is behind me. You know, when this whole thing was cooked up, it was like, what is this stupid, silly thing with the stupid elements? And what is it? It is personal testimony. It's people simply telling their stories of their lives and God's grace in their lives. That is extremely powerful. Um, Now, when do you get to do that? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, Back to like the Indian ministry or ladies' ministry or a Wednesday night or even even the even a big funeral. Um, people drive by here all the time, don't they? And um, I find it exhilarating when the cars are all, all over the parking lot. Um, not because we can go, yay, high five. We carried off a, we set a goal and we promoted that thing and we got people to come. Ugh. I don't care about that. What I care about is that hearts are aligned with the gospel. And what I care about is people drive. Is this the front of the church? Good. Well, people driving by here all the time. Thank you. Um, going, wow, those people are like on fire about something. I mean, whatever those cuckoo, like righty wingy looking whack jobs are all about in there, they at least seem pretty dang excited about it. And uh, there's stuff on a Thursday morning, there's stuff on a Tuesday morning, there's stuff on Wednesday nights, there's stuff on the weekends. I mean, in a week time, I mean, 2,000 cars may come in and out of this place. That's pretty powerful. I'm suggesting that in a very quiet, simple way, you can bring your car. And that makes a difference. Well, it has been a busy week. Oh, it's been such a busy week. Let's just stay home because it's been such a busy week. Oh, it's a, it's a really hectic time. I love all these stories. Oh, it's been hectic. Where have you been? Where it's just been so hectic. Get your butt over here. Set in Christian love by a Christian pastor who cares about you and also cares about the world. That's one way that you can love on the world is by supporting ministries fully. How about MITs? You know what an MIT is here at this church? You know, um, the whole millennial generation wants to make a difference. And I'm like, guys, come on in. We want you. You want to make a difference? Come up with an idea. You know what we'll do? We'll give you money to execute that idea. We'll support that idea. We'll try to help you get a team. We'll try to align you with people who also share that interest. And if it's a good idea, let's do it. Hey, what do we have, 20, 30 MITs? What does MIT stand for? Mission something. Anyway, what is it? Mission, what is it? Mission Initiative Team. Um, huh? Whatever. Come up with an idea, and we will help you execute that idea. I mean, it's happened all over the place with a little prison ministry. Somebody has laid upon their heart to go visit prisoners, and they're like, you know what? I could take a dozen people with me. We could make this better. We want to support that. I mean, we have, a, we have lots of those things, and I'm telling you, come up with, see a need. See a need and try to, try to, try to fill that need. We'll help you. Um, how about this? Um, <laughs> you, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this commercial. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a senior adult minister, okay? But if I were the senior adult minister, and if I ever am the senior adult minister, you know what I'm going to do? You ever seen this commercial? Visiting angels, American choice in home care. You ever seen that? Heard that jingle? Visiting angels? Well, you know what they do? They go to some single old person's place, and they clean up the apartment a little bit. 
And uh, they spend a little bit of time with them, an hour or something, and then they make them a couple of uh, lunches or dinners. You know, when Tammy's mom lived with us for three years, you know, it used to drive me nuts. She saved every little plastic tub and lid and of anything from the deli or whatever. And then, you know, we would wash it judiciously. And then about three months later, I'd throw them all out. And it was this little routine we had. But, you know, I finally figured out a lot of what she was looking for was a light plate, like not heavy, and a light utensil, not heavy. She was looking for, she was looking for things that she could easily use. And so if I were a senior adult minister, I'd be going, you know what? Um, empty nesters and uh, ladies that have some free time and your kids are at school during the day. And if you, if you got a little window, maybe just have a little route where you go to one person's house every week or maybe three people's every week. And you just sit with them for an hour and you make a few plates and you put it in the refrigerator and you help them. Wouldn't you think that would be a good way to love the world? There's a million things to do, ladies and gentlemen. I, I could go on and on and on. I have a list. But all I'm saying is have your radar on. Have your radar on. Support ministries in your church. Support classes. Support functions. Support people. Support it. Because it's, it's, a, it's a matter of, of, of urgently getting the word of the gospel out. We have the words of life. We have the cure for everything that ails. Let's disperse it. Uh, with, with vibrancy like this woman. All right. Um, application two. You know, um, <clears throat> the woman goes into town, and uh, what's the first word of her, of her testimony? She says, come. She just doesn't say, oh, you know what happened to me? Very interesting. Oh, what a weird story. Let me post it. She says, come. See a man who told me everything I ever did. She says it later. Come. See a man. Well, you know, Come is the great New Testament invitation, friends. Come. I mean, here's what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come. Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you rest. That's an invitation from Jesus himself. Here's another thing. Let me, let me, let me show you something that uh, I bet you missed in our story. I read it over and over and over again. I bet it never even hit you. Look at verse 16. She says, oh, yeah, give me water so I won't be thirsty. You don't have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. You noticed that before? Go call your husband and come here. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, Jesus, the Savior. Come to me. Is that not awesome? That's the plea. Um, here's another gospel plea. Um, you don't have to turn. Let me just jump there real quick. This is... Um, This is in Isaiah, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. This is an Old Testament gospel message. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall become like wool. Do you think that the Old Testament is dripping with grace? It is. And, And the first word is, come now, let's reason together. Bring your open heart. Let's reason together. The filth, the stain, it can be removed. Uh, how about this? This is, um, don't turn, but I'm in uh, Isaiah 55. It says, um, yeah, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. 
And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Not not something? You know, it's like that song. Without money, without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. How do you do that? Grace. But, But the point is, come. How about this from Revelation 22, 17? The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. (laughs) That's at the end of the book. Come is what Jesus says, the shepherd to his flock. Come is what we, along with the Samaritan saint, are supposed to be saying to the culture around us. Come, we welcome you. We welcome our blank community. We welcome you. Yes, evangelism is a spiritual gift, but we're all in the business of saying to the world, come, uh, be, be ready and unafraid to share uh, the reason for the hope that is in you. Okay, our second point, eat your food. Uh, back to the passage. Um, there's this really cool thing that takes place. There's been a, uh, there's been a commercial break, okay? Um, so verse 30 uh, here's where we leave it. Uh, the woman runs into town, and uh, she tells everybody that uh, this, this could be the Christ. That this, she's met this savior figure who's told her everything she ever did. And it says, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Cut. Commercial break. We come back, and we're in a totally different scene. All right, so over here, there's the Samaritan woman, and the people are coming toward Jesus. Okay, totally different scene. Meanwhile, verse 31, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Um, So you remember that uh, in verse 8, the disciples had gone into the city to buy food. So Jesus was probably very likely tired. Also, Jesus was the focal point. And I can tell you, just from personal experience, that if you're the focal point, like right at this moment, um, you know, there's pressure. And it's tiring to prepare all this and talk about all this stuff. And, and, and Jesus, you know, he's the savior of the world, quite a focal point. So he's probably tired. He's been doing all the talking. He's the focal point. And uh, they say, Rabbi, eat. And, uh, but he says to them, and he, it's just like what he says to the woman. It's awesome. He says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now, he is speaking cryptically, yes. Just like with the Samaritan woman, uh, about living water. He's speaking about living water. She's talking about water in a well. He's talking about living water. It's like this kind of like, what are you? It's like otherworldly speak. It's strange. He's doing that with the disciples too, and they don't get it. They're still talking about material rather than spiritual things. Look at verse 33. So the disciples said to him, yo, you got food that we don't know about? Uh, has anyone brought him something to eat? Like a brisket or something? Did somebody else come in and give Jesus something to eat? And Jesus says to them in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish him, uh, his work. Then he gives them a master class in theology and doing justice. Um, he says in verse 36, um, well, look at verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, it's been pondered over many a time about the fields being white for harvest. What does that mean? Some people think that it was the attire that the Samaritans wore, uh, which I think is ridiculous. Um, other people think, well, you know, I mean, when you see a wheat field that's finally turned, uh, you know, it kind of looks uh, sandy and white. 
Um, although it is uh, said that there was corn growing in Syker, not so much the domesticated corn that we grow, but like corn, but like funky, weird, uh, blobby corn. But anyway, that's why I got some corn on the screen. I mean, you can see that if you saw that from a distance and it had turned, that you might go, oh, it's, it's white for harvest. It's uh, ready to go-go. Uh, wheat might be the same thing. But anyway, all to say, Jesus is saying, um, don't you say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. It's ready. It's ready to be harvested. And guess what? Let's harvest. Um, he says it in verse 36, already, this is awesome, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Now, I know that sounds confusing. You read that and you're like, huh, okay, well, what is the reaping and the sowing and the, what does that mean? It's pretty simple. First of all, uh, Jesus is, appears to be making a reference to Amos 9.13, which says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. You understand what that means? It's a, in Amos, it's a day of restoration. It's God talking about a day of restoration through, his, through the prophet. Um, the idea that the plowman overtakes the reef, reaper means this, that the guy's planting, he's plowing and planting, and the stuff is so abundantly growing and, and things are happening so quickly that the guy who's reaping is bumping into the guy who's sowing. <laughs> you get it? That's what that means. When you read it, you go, oh, that's confusing. That's what it's saying. It's saying stuff is happening so fast that you can't put the seeds in the ground fast enough before the reaper comes in and bumps into the guy who's planting the seeds, almost lapping him. Jesus is talking about urgency. And uh, he's talking about this wonderful thing too. In fact, in verse 36, he says that the reaper and the sower may rejoice together. Now, the application for our lives is this. Um, we rejoice in our investments in other people for the sake of the gospel, but you don't always get to see it come to fruition, do you? I mean, if you've ever helped with youth, if you've ever met somebody in a, in a tough time, if you've ever met a college student, a person at any point in life and you invest in them, you may not see the fruits of that labor and they may disappear from your life. But then somebody else comes in and, and, and they, they're a caretaker of the gospel and then somebody else comes in and they're a caretaker of a gospel. And then a couple goes through a really hard time and somebody comes alongside them, another caretaker of the gospel. And it's saying that that's what we're in the business of doing. That, that's, that's, Jesus, that's Jesus' point and passion, that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. One sows and other reaps. Um, I, send you that, uh, that, I send you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored. You have entered into their labor. That's the point, folks. We are together in the business of ministering the gospel. Are you your brother's keeper? Yes. And you may have heard me say a number of times before that being a Christian is, in a, in a way, in a sense, not at all the reality, but in a sense, it's like being married to everybody. You know? I mean, Tammy's stuck with me. She's like, I got to put up with her. And now, Sam, you mean I'm not even married to Sam and I got to put up with his crap? The answer is yes. You are your brother's keeper. Um, I, I've got a lovely illustration, and I think I've told you this before, but the guy who led my parents and my whole family to the Lord, Ab Bauman, 
They moved in two doors down. They're still alive. They still live two doors down for my parents who are also still alive. Um, and Ab and Rosie Bauman are the, the beautiful feet that led my whole family to Christ. And uh, we had a junior high minister, not minister, a volunteer. He was a pilot uh, named Sam Hill. And Sam and Fran Hill would have us over in junior high. And um, anyway, about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago or so, was it? Maybe. They came through here. They, came, they were like, we're traveling through Memphis together, and we would love to see you. And I took them. We went out to eat. I took them to our sanctuary. And when I hit on those lights, and the whole thing goes, and you see all those pews, and you see that room. Ab Bauman was like, just joyfully overwhelmed, going, this punk idiot who I watched make mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake and almost blow it and die, is now being used in this way. Well, that's his investment in me and so many other people's investment in me. And then I invest in other people and you invest in other people and the gospel is furthered and furthered and further. We share in each other's labors. And uh, I'm telling you, we can take a lesson from the Samaritan woman. All right, last point. And we're, we're almost done. The mission field is everywhere. Um, Verse 39 to the end. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. So he seeks out Samaria, seeks out this woman, and then stays there two more. So he's there in Samaria three days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer that we believe that you, what you said, we've heard for ourselves. We know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Friends, every person you come in contact with, every person, store, friendships, every single person you ever come in contact with, the security guy at your building, whatever, the UPS guy, every single person, you need to be thinking, how can I crack into that heart? How can I strike up a relationship whereby we might engage in some kind of a dialogue that could point to the gospel. The motive is that you love them and you care about them and you want their safety and you want their best and you want their rest. I mean, Jesus sought out the Samaritan woman and uh, Samaria was off the map for a Jew. He went off the map. Um, Don't ever forget that that's how the gospel works. Um, You didn't get pulled out of a violent sea because you hung onto a life preserver. You got pulled out of a violent sea because you got plucked out of it with a net. That is grace. So go pluck somebody out with a net. Last thing is this, and I got to hurry. You know, um, oh gosh. All right, let me, let me hurry. Um, the Great Commission. You know, Jesus says, hey, um, um, I want you to go out and um, be ambassadors for me. I want you to um, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. All authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, a Trinitarian gospel have we, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right? So now, in the book of Acts, Jesus ascends, and uh, the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples. 
Um, and it wasn't fire. It was as fire. So don't think there was real fire on their head, but it was some, some amazing thing as fire um, comes on the disciples. And um, they, are, they, are, they feel they, 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 the Holy Spirit comes on them and they start to speak in other tongues. And it's really cool. You've got all these people going, they're amazed, they're astonished. They're like, they're like aren't these people Galileans, these disciples? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native tongue? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belong to Cyrene, and Jews, um, proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. We hear them talking in our own tongue. The Holy Spirit is preaching the gospel message. And then the very next thing, it's awesome. It says, uh, Peter starts preaching, and it says, it shall come to pass that everyone who believes upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Peter, excuse me, Stephen is stoned to death. Remember that? Stephen is stoned to death in chapter eight of the gospel, uh, the, the book of Acts. He's stoned to death. And um, it says that uh, Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. So this is the catalyst. Stephen is stoned and then Saul is persecuting Christians, dragging them out. The very next thing is this. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to Samaria. Is that not awesome? When the church is scattered, Philip goes to Samaria, the unlikely place full of Samaritans, which Jesus sought out. Let us do the same. Let us pray. Lord, um, it is a beautiful gospel, and I pray that anything I flubbed up would, would be removed from all these hearts and minds. But everything that is true, Lord, I just pray that it will stick. And I pray that you'll give us an urgency for the gospel. And I pray that even in this little class, Lord, that you might feel a, a, a nucleus of, of gospel activity. Just make us vibrant um, appreciators of um, the gospel and carriers of that gospel. Make our feet beautiful uh, for your glory and in Christ's name and in the power of the spirit who was sent. Amen. Thanks, everybody.